the reason why I'm good at this is because I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. I should say that. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not just this like automatic smart guy who just makes all the right decisions. You learn as you go. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's the only, it's the best way to learn. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of The Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is Aaron LeBauer, your host, and today my special guest is Zach Harmon. Zach is a PT out in Colorado um, from True Strength Rehab, and Got Zach on the show for a couple reasons. Not only is he crushing it in his cash practice out in uh, Denver, but Zach was a new grad uh, who started a cash practice, and um, Zach's gone through some rebranding. So we're going to talk to him about a couple of those things and learn a little bit more about him. So Zach, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, Aaron, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate you having me. And uh, let me share my story a little bit about being a new grad and, and starting a cash practice. Yeah, awesome, man. Well. I always like to figure out like where's what's everyone's kind of origin story. So what was the thing that brought you into physical therapy in the first place? So my dad owned and operated a, a fitness gym since mm -hmm. I was a young kid. So I kind of grew up in the movement world and uh, I had an uncle chiropractor. He was a practice. And then I had also another uncle who was a physical therapist okay. and um, I played sports and I would get treated by both of them. And I tended to get better when I got treated by my uncle who was a PT. <laughs> And, uh, the, the big issue with that was they both did a great job. I'm not uh, putting uh, bad names on either one of them, but, uh, it made me want to be a PT more and cause I knew I was going to get more exercise based stuff. So I went, I, I became a strength coach for seven years. I did my undergrad and then I was like, you know what? I want to go do this. And now I just stay in more of the sports orthopedic realm. That's kind of where I'm, uh, happy, happiest. Yeah, just because I get to work with more of those athletes, kind of similar to what I was doing prior to that. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So you went to like undergrad and then you, did you know you're going to be a PT? Like, no, long? no, no, I did not. I tested the waters out trying to do energy consulting mm -hmm. at Pacific Northwest National Lab, actually up in Oregon or not Oregon, not Washington in the Tri-City area. And I was doing algae biofuel and alternative energy uh, fuels, like consulting on them and seeing giving like a portfolios for cost benefit uh, ratios for, mm -hmm. for the energy. And then I hated it. I, I didn't like sitting at a desk and I realized I wanted to go back to the strength world. And then that's when I decided to go become a PT. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Awesome, man. And then when you just made that decision and you're even going through PT school, did you know you were going to get out and start a business? My dad owned a gym and uh, I saw kind of the inner workings of owning a business there, but no, I actually wanted to do the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, originally, I, um, I said, I absolutely don't want to own my own business. I saw how much of a struggle it was for my parents. And I didn't want to deal with any of that, that right. And I, I just had this negative mindset because I saw how much my parents struggled and um, owning a gym. And so long story short, I got out and uh, started practicing as a PT at normal, I'll call them uh, PT mills mm -hmm. or kind of plug and chug patient care. And I literally looked at my wife one day and I was just like, if this is the way it is, 
like throughout the whole thing, there's two things right now. I'm either going to go to a different field and I'm mm -hmm. never coming back, or I am going to figure this out on my own and treat patients the way I want to treat them. Yeah. That's, and, and, and I didn't settle there. I didn't care how much money someone was going to pay me at a PTMO, how much, you know, I did, I, I just saw that as like the worst type of patient care possible is just to spend as little amount of time and then pass it off to a tech and aid. So yeah, that's when I said, uh, I'll start the business. And I went against everything I said I would do was, was I wasn't going to start a business. And I'm really glad I went against that because it was uh, the best decision I made in order to be happy in, in uh, being a PT now. Yeah. Wow, man, that's awesome. What, what was there one thing that happened or was it just like an accumulation? Or was it like it didn't just meet yeah, your there were, I mean, there, there, there was a lot of non-met expectations. There was a lot of quotas that I was having to fulfill. Like someone would come in. I can tell you one that just set me off. It was, uh, there was a person who had patellar tendonitis or tendinosis, sorry. It was longstanding. And um, I knew that I didn't need to see him every week. Mm -hmm. He needed to get some, he had his uh, exercise I gave him. And seeing him every week, for this person, he's pretty active. He's a younger individual. He needed to do less and, and just follow the three days a week that I was prescribing and right. not come here as often, not focus on it so much. And I remember telling him to come every two or three weeks mm -hmm. and I got in trouble for that. Like mm -hmm. that was a big deal because I didn't fulfill the two to three times I'm supposed to make them come into the, into the office. And that just totally lit the entire like I already had accumulation of stuff and that one just yeah. like threw the fuel. And I was like, if I can't prescribe the way I see fit to help this person, like, because business is getting in the way, right? Well then I don't agree with this model. I'm, I'm out. I'm done with the insurance thing until insurance is reimbursed more. I'm not even going to take it. I'm, I'm going to go just work with patients and do the best I can. And they'll contract essentially with me. Right. Right. So I was done and, and I made that decision and I knew I couldn't get there because I didn't have a lot of capital. And then I saw your product and that would at least save me some time. So I was like, I'll buy that product. I'll start it as a side gig and see what happens. And I'll work full time at another place. So I was, I was working Monday through Sunday for almost a year and a half mm -hmm. until I got it to where I, I knew I had enough patience. I had enough uh, reputation around the Denver area. And then I committed and got more gyms and then I went full time, um, quit the other job. So I, I was just, I was working Monday through Sunday. I was working the weekends as my side gig for a while. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And you, that was the cash PD blueprint that you went through the course. Right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Wow, yeah. And man. that was uh, that was, that was really great product at the time because yeah. as a new grad, I was taking the boards. I just got done with my last clinical. I took mm -hmm. the boards and then I bought your product. And then there's that two week window of like, you should find, you should start working versus you just got done with the boards. Right. And I took your course and then I got it up and running right in those two weeks got all the logos done, got all the LC done. So it, it saved me a lot of time. And then I just kept working and, and chugging at it and just grinding until I knew I had a thing I could go full time. Right. What did you need to do or accomplish or how many patients was it? Like, how'd you know when you could go full time in your own business? So I would fill at least seven to eight patients for an eight hour day. Mm-hmm every Saturday, Sunday. And I said, if I can consistently do that for two months and have some inquiries about getting on my schedule and there was mm -hmm. like a bit of a wait list mm -hmm. that I had enough. And then I knew if I got two more gyms that, that I could be out of, cause I, I, my model's a little different. I don't have one site. I go each day of the week, I go to a different gym. Okay. And I have my own office. 
And we could talk about negotiating with mm-hmm. gyms because I'm really good at that. And I think too many PTs out there are taking too high of rent from gyms. Don't let them treat you like a tenant. That's all I have to say. And then okay. we can go into that more. The other, yeah. So basically we go in and we, uh, I go in each uh, day of the gym. One, one's here, one's here, one's here. And so I knew I already have some exposure once I had two more gyms and I had that wait list. Mm-hmm. So I knew that would set me up really good. So I had, that's pretty much how I knew I, I was going to, it was overkill, right? right. It's it definitely overkill, but I was going to do that because I didn't have a lot of, already in a lot of debt, didn't have a lot of capital, couldn't really take any more risks. So I just mm-hmm. overprepared that way and, and I got those two gyms located and then had a two week wait list. Yeah. Looking back, do you think you could have made the move sooner or yes. was that? Yeah. Okay. I could have probably made it a year sooner, mm-hmm. but I was, again, fear is a nasty thing when you right. have it. It's almost like it's no different than rehab. Like if someone's really scared, gradual, gradual ramp up, right? right. And that builds their confidence. It's it's same with our minds with uh, with business. And uh, I've made plenty of mistakes and known that I've either acted too soon or acted too late on things. But it's a trial and error. Yeah. What was the most difficult thing that you had to get over, accomplish, or figure out getting started? Most difficult thing was knowing that I was worth the money. Mm-hmm knowing that someone was paying me out of pocket that certain amount. And I always, you, you, I always kind of devalued myself a little bit because I was like, you think it's common sense or common education. Cause you're always talking to my wife's a PT. So it's not mm-hmm. like I'm around a bunch of like, my wife doesn't work in the normal sector. So she's a yeah. pediatric PT and has done ortho. So I'm always around someone who knows a lot too. So I get in this bubble of like, well, why would they pay me for that? Like that's common sense, right? right? And come to come to realize, I'm like, oh, that's actually really valuable. So, yeah, I would say devaluing myself was the biggest hurdle I had to overcome and realize, like, no, you are worth that. Charge it, stick to it, move on. Yeah, awesome. How did you um, figure out how how much to charge and how how to ask confidently for what you're worth? Well, I made the mistake of charging too little. And then also I looked around and kind of saw what other cash PT clinics were charging in the area and realized I was charging way less than what they were doing. So I would say looking around, comparing, and then once I commit, I'll, I'll commit. So I, I, my personality is it's just like when you're in that planning stage, mm-hmm. I think doing your due diligence of like asking yourself what you would pay and then going and comparing and see if that matches. If it doesn't, then maybe have a serious conversation with yourself about, hey, maybe, maybe I'm not mentally right here. Maybe I'm either devaluing or overvaluing myself. Mm-hmm. And then just go from there. And then I, you know, I'll ask friends. Yeah. I mean, you got networks. So ask around and see what you think should be charged. Right, right, right on. What was the one thing that you did early on that really helped you build your caseload or, you know, that got you the confidence to, you know, really start, you know, getting those extra days of, uh, of work and, you know, work at the other gyms and everything. What was that? Things I did. I did a lot of stuff for free, Mm -hmm. um, early on, um, a lot of consults for free evals for, for referral sources that that were, uh, for free. Mm -hmm. So like coaches are your greatest referral source. Or family members that you know have big families, you 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 go, hey, I'll give you a free eval for for that shoulder pain you had, and then when you start doing that for free, they start to build a little trust, 
I would say that was my biggest thing from, from a word of mouth standpoint that got me really looking at a lot of that stuff, getting more referrals, getting, getting my reputation built. And then I would go work out a lot of the times mm -hmm. with the members, right? I love lifting. I compete in powerlifting. I've done the CrossFit stuff. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, so I enjoy every aspect of that. Um, yeah. and, and I dabble in all of it. Like I've done Olympic powerlifting and CrossFit. I'm probably the best at powerlifting, but, mm -hmm. uh, I'll lift in all the gyms and you just have fun. You just have yeah. fun with the people and then you see where it goes. Cause it really is just about providing value. It just want, if you focus on helping the rest of that stuff, like you don't even have people will come talk to you. Like if you just like, if I'm in the middle of a workout and like we're warming up and I can help someone warm up a little bit better mm -hmm. and I give them a little tweak, like tip here, right? It's like they take a lot of value out of that. And all of a sudden they're like, Hey, maybe I should go see him for his, my knee right. pain. Right. It's stuff how, like that. How do you like doing free visits? How did you position it or, or set it up so that you weren't just getting people coming, wasting your time who weren't really serious about working with you? I'm pretty blunt personality trait wise. A lot of the times I just be like, Hey, listen, like this is just a free eval this time. Like obviously I have to make money as well, just as everyone else does. Mm -hmm. But if you want to do more follow-ups or anything like that, this is my rate. So I, I would usually set the expectation on that first visit. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. And then the other thing is basically I would just kind of tell them like, Hey, listen, like here's what I'm planning. I'm just very open and honest. If you're open and honest, like, Hey, like I want to have a relationship with you. I want to help you. But like, also like I would, I'm growing and I would love any, if you trust what I'm doing, I'd love any referral to help mm -hmm. any of your athletes. Like I'm just very open and honest. Like I'm not going to be like, Oh, I don't want to come across like I'm selling too much or any of that. Like, no, like you have, to, we, we all have to make money. Like right. we have to pay bills. So they should understand that they understand that typically if you're open and honest and you're coming from a place of wanting to help, but also like you also have to grow your business. Mm -hmm. Most people are very understanding about that. And so as you would set that expectation, the first visit, yeah, you I just have to do that. It's, it's, it's a weird conversation at first, yeah. but then as you do it more, it becomes more natural. Right. Right. I think that the trouble that I ran into a long time ago is I wouldn't set that expectation and people would just talk at me. I'm like too nice to try to cut them off. I'm like, man, I got to be mean to cut this person off. It was just like, once I learned how to set an expectation at the beginning of the conversation, it made a, makes a huge difference. That, don't yeah, because then people can trust what you say. Right. They don't have to, as soon as you act a certain way that doesn't come across trusting, mm -hmm. now they can feed whatever narrative they want about you. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's the worst thing you want for your business. <laughs> right. 100%. Getting started as a new grad, what, did you um, run into any. Um, uh, resistance or anything from people or was it just something that uh, worked out easily for you? Yeah. I got a lot of resistance when talking to older clinicians. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my mentors like Aline Thompson or Dan Pope, those are the ones I learned the most from. Very supportive. But yeah. when you talk to outside of that group, they didn't think a new grad had what it takes to do that. They think that you have to have a certain amount of experience, a certain amount of clout, a certain amount of courses, a certain amount of you name it. Right. There's, right. I mean, I don't really know what else I, I, you name what could be said about it. It's been said about not starting as a new grad. You don't have the experience. You don't have the money. You don't have the confidence. And that isn't really true unless you tell yourself it's true because people 
don't care how much you know. They care. They will only listen to how much knowledge you have after they know how much you care. Right. So if you're good with your social skills and your soft skills, as they would say, you're going to be fine as a new grad. If you're not so good there, I would say you're going to struggle as a new grad. Mm -hmm. It's not about all the technical skills. If you have basic principles down, the simple foundational things that you should as a PT, which a lot of us new grads do have if you paid attention in class and stuff, you can start it as a new grad. You just have to really hone in how you communicate and how you come across with people. Mm -hmm. If you struggle there, that's where you're going to need to work on more than I would say the technical aspects. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I agree hundred percent, but I don't want people to just hear it from me, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. but it, it's like, I heard that, I mean, I found the same thing and you know, I found that the people that said those things to me would never start their own business or, you know, they probably didn't have those things. And I don't know, like I was surprised. Like I thought like when you got in the course and CJ and I, I built the list like five years ago of all these new grads, even, Spark physiotherapy, Carlos Barrio. Like, uh, yeah, he, uh, me and him are in Marymount grads. You know that, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, that's we went awesome. To same school. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, I was like, but people still have that, that thought today that new grads don't have something. And I don't know, it just, it bums me out. You know, it bums me out to hear that. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm glad that you found uh, the right path because I can see a lot of people would just hear it and be like, oh, I'm never doing this. I can't do it. You know? Yeah. I mean, why do you think like, like in your experience, why do you think like this thought that a new grad doesn't have what it takes to start a business exists? Because I think we put a lot of value in this, and it's not just our industries. We put a ton of value in the years spent in an industry mm-hmm. versus how well someone actually used that time. Uh-huh. So this is where you have these outliers, but like if you use your time efficiently to apply yourself to an industry, whether it's PT or anything, you could be really good, even great in four years. Mm-hmm. If you really apply and put the work in and do that, but someone could spend 20 years in that same industry and not really, and just kind of coast, you're probably going to be better than them at four years. And then the 20 year clinician, right. if you put a lot of time in, I, and I think, but the public's view, normal view is like 20 years means better than four years. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. how did that person use that time? Right. Do you think your patients care? I mean, I think you already said this, but do you think your patients care how long you've been a PT? No. And I, I actually, I've had patients because I have a little bit more of a savvy consumer in my, mm-hmm. it's a CrossFitter. They, they care about their health. They read up. Right. They do all kinds of stuff. They say they seek out doctors. PTs, Kairos, doesn't matter who, mm-hmm. who are five years out or, or less. Wow. Because they know they're going to be on the early, they're going to be learning the new stuff and they won't lose that like drive mm-hmm. to learn. Wow. Wow. That's so, like, awesome. <laughs> I, literally had, I literally had patients who say that like, well, I chose you because you're, you're actually like a little younger. Yeah. And yeah. you could tell you care. Yeah. That's awesome. But that's not your average. Yeah. I mean, it's but, they're, they, you know, they read it, up it is an outlier. It is an outlier, but you got to think that if people are making their decisions, like that, like majority of people aren't really like looking up your CV. They want to know, like you said, can you help me? Do you care? Right. 
And who cares the most? Well, you know, Dr. Harmon, Dr. LeBauer. Oh, that's why I go to see him. Like they don't, they don't know where you went to. No one cares where you went to. Mary, no one asked Mary me. Nope. No, right? No, I. Yeah, they they want to see you participating in the community. They want to see you show how much you care to them, mm-hmm. and they they want to to see if your treatment works. So you do your your reassessment after. Yeah. You do those three. I'm telling you, most of it takes care of itself. Yeah. And as long as you care, like right. legitimately care, you have mm-hmm. to really like look at them like, Hey, I'm not going to just see him for the first injury. Mm-hmm. I might know this person for five years. Is there, um, like a, like a technical physical therapy skill that you learned, whether it's a treatment technique or evaluation technique or something after graduating that you felt like was significantly more helpful to you than anything else? Mm, crossfitters like instant, gratification like they want pain relief quick yeah typically because they want to get back to their workout as quick as possible mm-hmm. one treatment that's helped me but it's certainly not the end-all be-all but we have a huge acupuncturist lobby or uh group in colorado as is so a lot of people have been needled some way or some right some way somehow and drying helped a little bit in terms of if someone showed up they would still be open to seeing me because i had that option because they had had it before and it helped mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So dry, I would say dry needling, at least in Colorado. I don't know how other states are, but Colorado seems to have a little bit of a, a, a demand for dry needling or some form of needling. And so that, I would say, was the only course I ever took manual-wise that had an impact on my cells. Mm-hmm. Not even from the technical aspect, but just from the mind aspect of someone saying, because it's such a demand that someone's like, well, I'll still see him for eval because at least he can needle. Right even though I may ne- never needle them and right. show them that they didn't need it. They needed more of this other exercise. Right. Uh-huh. Which happens all the time. Yeah. Someone it, usually it is levels over the field. Yeah. Right. It, it levels, levels the, the it levels the field. Like you've got the option, but you might not even use it, but they're okay mm-hmm. with that. They're like, Oh yeah. Okay. So on the reverse side, do you have people price shop you based on, or how do you keep people from price shopping you based on, Oh, well, I don't I sell dry needling by itself. One yeah. thing I don't sell dry needling by itself. That's mm-hmm. one thing I don't do. You're, I'm selling an evaluation by me, how I see things, how I evaluate things. Dry needling might be a part of that initial session or the follow-up session. So I sell it as rehab session, mm-hmm. not dry needling session. Right. If I did it as dry needling session, yeah, people would price shop you. Yeah. Do um, you have people say, hey, can you just needle me here? No, and I go, I know nothing about that injury. So that I was like, I, could I do it? Yes. I don't think it will have the effect that you want. So can we just do an eval on this and then we can go from there? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because could I dry needle and could it potentially help them? Sure. But what happens if that wasn't the root of their issue? Right. What happens if it was really like a neck issue and they're feeling it here, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't help them. They just made them feel good. I don't want to be an Advil, Mm -hmm. like a, like an, like an invasive Advil. Um, (laughs) like I don't want to do that. Like it's just going to be temporary and then to come back and then there's a chance that they say, well, he didn't really help me that much. Mm -hmm. I don't need that. Right. So it's more about integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So Zach, I want you to, you mentioned it before about negotiating with Jim. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like what were some of the things that you've done? Cause I know there are a lot of people listening and 
you know, I've helped people with negotiating and negotiating rent because I, you know, buy and sell vintage scooters. I'm like, been doing that for years. I took that in negotiations and it's, but I, we haven't just talked about this on the podcast um, in a long, long time, if ever. Just, can you just tell me a little bit about like, what were some of the first um, kind of contracts you kind of got in? What were the pitfalls and what are the things people need to look out for? Yeah. So one thing that helped me keep rent low was I didn't choose just one location. Mm-hmm. Having multiple gyms, if you can partner with multiple gyms, is only going to help you with negotiations because it's one day right. a week. They can't charge you that much for that. The other thing is to really change their mindset from tenant to physical therapist mm-hmm. or doctor physical therapy, whoever you are. That is your number one thing to establish when you're negotiating. If they, ta- if they don't want that and they constantly show you, keep treating you like a tenant, get out of it. It's not worth it. I can't tell you many times you have to have some teeth to that into your negotiations because and the only, and the way I set myself up to make sure I didn't, I didn't act, uh, I didn't back down is have some fallback. So I have been building a garage gym for a long period of time Mm -hmm. and I slowly keep adding equipment, right? So in the case, if one of these gyms either go belly up and they, and they, they, they can't afford to keep the doors open or negotiations get nasty and they get to a point where we don't see eye to eye and then we need to move on that I can at least treat some of my patients out of the garage in and then find a new location. But that mm-hmm. also gives me the ability to say no to them if they up rent, have that fallback plan. It could be your house. It could be your garage, whatever it is, have it set up just in case. And then guess what? It's just a nice little workout for you, a workout room for you later on, right? Mm-hmm. When you're not using it for patient care, if it's just that. That, would, that gives you some more aggressive, you basically can be more aggressive in your negotiations. You don't have to be a jerk. It's just when it comes to this stuff, people get fearful with money. And so if you tell them, if their rent went up and they want to up rent on you, they're going to treat you like a tenant, but you're saying, no, you should be valuing me as a PT. I help membership retention. If someone mm-hmm. gets hurt, a lot of times they're going to quit. And I, I use some data to show that. So like at the end of each session I have, or end of uh, almost end of like, let's say the shoulder got way better after eight weeks. I'll say, Hey, I'll give them a little survey at the end. And I'll, one of my questions is if, if you wouldn't have got treatment and this would have gotten worse, yeah. do you think you would have continued into the gym or the CrossFit gym? And it gives me an idea of if it's yes or no. And I get percentages and I'll, I'll show the mm-hmm. gym owners. That's one thing. Another thing to make them realize you're not just a tenant is how do you help? That's, that's revenue retention, right? For them. Right. How do I generate revenue for them? And a lot of things that I've done is partnered up with physicians mm-hmm. to actually refer to the gym and me, right? which has been awesome because it improves outcomes for the physician. And I target more concierge mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, physicians. And what I did was I basically had them refer to the gym and I would manage, I would say, here's the bundle package for PT. I'm going to see you once every three weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell the coaches and, and, the, and, the, and all the coaches in the class, here's your injury. Here's the modifications. Here's the timeline. And then you, you will be working out with them. So either they were already a gym member. Well, what's nice about the physicians is they're actually pouring in non-members right. to become members. So now that person who was paying me a PT rate potentially that was because I do a 20% discount for members. Mm-hmm. So now it's already incentivizing that whole relationship of join the gym. You get less, you have to pay me less right. as a PT. 
And then what was really cool about all that was it just like this cohesive win-win-win situation because now the physician looks better with a better outcome. Mm -hmm. The gym's getting a member. Mm -hmm. I don't have to see him. I don't have to be overbearing, over-medicalize them. I can see them every two to three weeks and change progressions. Right. And then they're not hurting themselves in the class because they're doing everything within the boundaries of what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then we just keep progressing, progressing, progressing. And so that helped me become even more valuable to them because I'm bringing in a little bit more. Right. And that's when I had those. And when you have those negotiations, now you have, okay, if they treat me like a tenant, I can back out. I show them membership retention. I show them membership or revenue generation. Mm -hmm. You put that all in a negotiation package kind of for yourself. When you go to talk to them, I promise you, you'll get rent low. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And how about uh, one of the biggest questions that I see in like, in the coaching groups and in the cash beating nation is, well, should I get a percentage or per hour visit? How do you, how do you handle that? I hate the percentage one. I started mm-hmm. out on that one. So the reason why I'm good at this is because I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. I should say that. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not just this like automatic smart guy who just makes all the right decisions. You learn as you go. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's the only, it's the best way to learn. And I took a percentage early on because I didn't, I wasn't seeing anyone. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can't just afford $500. Like I'm not seeing anyone. I would say once your schedule fills up mm-hmm. to at least seven or eight patients a week, that's when you renegotiate to a flat rate um, immediately. Cause it can get quite exorbitant when it's 30% per session right. or 20% per session. Otherwise you'll feel real quickly that you're making, you're, you're like, I get to treat how I treat, but I'm making as much as I would at a, a normal PTMO or less if you do it that way. Right. Um, and you don't want to be doing that when the whole goal is to pay off these exorbitant loans that, mm-hmm. that, that a lot of new grads have. So I would say if you can negotiate the flat rate and, or, or you could, what, if you already know you're going to do this and you're listening as a student right now, start saving for a little buffer right now. So when you get out and do this, you can take the flat rate right. and then just go and hit the ground running and keep it that, and just negotiate that lower whenever you get more valuable. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome pointer. What, um, you know, it's interesting to, you know, when you say that you've got a, uh, to have a backup, right. So you can walk away from negotiation. It's one of the most powerful strategies that, uh, I've learned is just to walk away and say, like, okay, great. Thank you. I'm going to go somewhere else. And to be able to have that, and the other, a lot of times the other parties say, Oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do it at this. <laughs> right. I mean, have you ever just said, Hey, no, that's too much. I'm going to walk away and have someone come back and say, Hey, Zach, we'd really like to have you here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. I've walked away. 24 hour fitness hit me, actually approached me, uh, here and, and there, it, it was just a big sales pitch to basically look at me as like a, a revenue generator for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't about generating patience or a relationship. Right. Once you get that vibe, I was just like, Nope, I'm good. Because the public is starting to come around, but it's still not there where they start to recognize PTs as being able to do more than just after surgery. Mm-hmm. Right. It's getting there, but it's so slow. And I think we need more and more PTs to, to stand up for the the abilities we have and 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 what we can do and the only way you're going to do that is by walking away right and then and then go and then going and succeeding like in a different place yeah and without that 
it's, it gets challenging because if you, if you succumb to that one, it'll probably put your business not in a good position. Mm -hmm. Number two, you're not helping our industry change the narrative that's about us as PT. So um, I would say it's very imperative for students who are listening to change their mindset of what we can do. Right. Right. That's awesome. And how do you keep it or how do you position it so that like whether an owner negotiates with you to come into the gym or the box, how do you keep it so that the CrossFit coaches, maybe if, even if they're doing personal training, you know, as part of the gym, how do you keep them from feeling like you're competing with them? You know, they're threatened, right? That's where you get, that's where I was saying, uh, I give a lot of free evals to Mm -hmm. coaches to show them what exactly I do. right? Right. Actually, I love that you brought this up because this is the number one thing everyone's going to hit when they go into gym PT, Mm -hmm. uh, a a gym physical therapy. You will encounter strength coaches who think they can do your job. And that's okay. Don't feel threatened by it. It's, it's, it's a, there's probably a little bit of lack of understanding Mm -hmm. of what we actually do. And quite frankly, you're not selling PT. You're selling your take on how you evaluate an injury. PT got you to where you are right now, but you're mm-hmm. much more than just PT. So if you can view yourself as, yes, I'm a physical therapist, but I'm also me who knows how to view this in all different types of angles to help this athlete, that'll take away the competition between PT versus strength coach. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 no, there's an athlete in front of us we have different takes on certain things. I have a, a little bit more in-depth knowledge about certain things here. You might have some more in-depth knowledge here. How can we collaborate together and help this athlete? Always talk that way because it really is that. Because mm-hmm. um, I have learned plenty of things from, some, from really good strength coaches. So the, and, and the biggest thing is when you start seeing people act in a certain way where they're not valuing you because that will happen too sometimes, just ignore it keep going and keep proving through your outcomes. And I promise you, I've had tons of coaches who never would like, wouldn't get on my schedule, wouldn't get treated by me. They saw someone else and they thought they could do my job or something and, and, and vocalized it. And then I, now I see them regularly (laughs) Uh, because I can't tell you how far it can go when you actually just work on them. So Mm -hmm. give stuff for free. I would say, cause they're going to be a referral source anyways. Really just show them what you do and then work out with them. Mm-hmm. I promise you, if you're in the right realm, if you're in strength physical therapy or sports medicine physical therapy, and that's where you're meant to be because this is what you like to do, you've already done a lot of stuff. You've studied enough. Like, you know a lot of stuff. Just have a good conversation with them. Tell them show them some stuff. And then it kind of just naturally starts to get better and better in terms of that relationship. You don't have to be forceful. You just kind of like, it's kind of, it's just relationship building. It really is that at, at its most simple form is relationship building. And with the competition, I would say always talking a collaborative kind of, just to kind of make simple points for people, collaborative speech, right? Mm-hmm. Not, well, I said this or, right. well, they shouldn't be do that. Cause I said this. Mm-hmm. Well, if they, if they end up doing something that's Connor in uh, contraindicated to like, I, I can't tell me times I see so many people stretch their hip flexor or 90-90 pigeon stretch when they have a hip labral tear because their coach told them, that's a lack of education. Don't take that offensively. Don't think the coach is trying to belittle your, your sayings to the patient. They probably just don't know. Go up to them. Explain to them why you're doing what you're doing. Show them maybe some visuals. 
and talk to them how it might feel good during the stretch, but it always will make it work worse the next day. So tell them how challenging it is of our, of the situation, right? It's not always easy for us to make sure we don't flare up our patients. So right. I would say when you do that, it's never competitive. And then I don't know, on my lunch breaks, I'm always hanging out. I, you know, you hang out with them, you, you, you kind of go back and forth with what you know. And there's tons of times where it's almost like a, a power hour of people who care about health and fitness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of like, I am the authority talking down to you, it's more, how can we kind of learn some stuff? Right, right. That's awesome. So, Zach, one of the other things that, uh, that you did was you've, in the last few years, you've rebranded because when we started the show, I was like, wait, you know, true strength was it's true strength, uh, physical therapy. Make sure I get it right. No, True strength, performance and rehab, true strength, performance and rehab. Cause it was different. It was, um, peak performance. repeat, repeat. That's yeah, right. Repeat. So can um, you talk a little bit about, you know, how'd you come to the decision to rebrand and why? Uh, yeah. So I don't know how I got stuck on that. Honestly, I think I was just like, me and my wife were just uh, having to go at it with the yeah. repeat. Uh, and then we liked the tagline, but it didn't really jive with the niche that I like to work with, which mm-hmm. is strength athletes. Mm-hmm. Well, it does, and it doesn't matter. And, you know, I, do I like working with uh, field sports and your everyday Joe? Yeah, and I get plenty of those. Yeah. But my niche being inside a gym was strength athletes. So I needed to make that more simple and, and understandable for the consumer. And so, I came up with true strengths, which almost made the cut over repeak before I just Uh came back to it. And I was like, this makes way more sense. And now when people look me up, I already, even from like SEO stuff, like search engine optimization, I'm already getting people who I want from the name itself. Right. And then when people actually uh, hear the name, they already know like, yeah, if I go see Zach, I'm either going to be lifting some weights or I already lift weights and I need to get back to him. Right. So it already kind of weeds out. Like, I definitely don't, could I, if someone put a gun to my head and said, you, you need to treat TMJ or you need to treat this ballet dancer, could I do it? Sure. But it's not, it's not something I, I want to do a, a bulk of my, uh, right. my whole entire sessions. Yeah. Well, repeat living in uh, Denver almost sounds like, well, I'm, I treat like climbers, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, or, it's, or the, or the mountaineer like type sports, right? Right. And there's plenty of that. So that's saturated names, super saturated yeah. name. There's tons of peak, peaks here, peaks there in Colorado. Yeah. Like it doesn't really help you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What was the most difficult or challenging thing about rebranding? All the extra money you have to spend again <laughs> after you already did it one time for websites and uh, transferring domains and, and uh, just all the, the logo design and all that. I'd mm-hmm. say from a capital standpoint, it's worth it, but you're going to be like, man, I should not make these mistakes again. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's worth it. I mean, it sounds like things are growing since you did that. I mean, it's easier. People find you easier and everything, right? Yeah. What'll be cool is even with all this weird stuff going on with the coronavirus, I actually am viewing the telehealth push positively because I'm getting kind of having to get creative with doing like rehab type classes through mm-hmm. zoom and prehab classes and, and doing, and I'm thinking about even mounting like a smart TV in my garage because I have all this equipment right? and just having like a camera follow me and doing more workshops that way. Cause they're going to be more convenient. Mm-hmm. And then like, if I do big workshops, I'll do those in person that are two hour long and I'll just keep them to half hours or an hour 
that way I can generate it more frequently and still keep my wife happy because I come home right. from work, right? <laughs> That's a big thing that no one really talks about is the, that you know, if you can put a lot of hours in and then you need to take care of yourself, which is working out. But if you want to do workshops and stuff like that frequently, that takes a big beating on, on seeing your wife. So mm-hmm. you either need to hire employees to, to give some of that time back or you need to find some convenient way to filming at home. And right. I think like Zoom could be an easy way to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so great. Well, what's next for you? What's the next three to five years look look like? Probably a blend uh, for me, a blend between clinician work mm-hmm. have, and being a manager, having mm-hmm. two to three, potentially four. Is I put four down for my, my five-year plan for employees. I don't really want to grow beyond that. I don't yeah. want, I know myself well enough. I do not want to manage more than that. And then doing probably some teaching. I would love to teach either at the university level or some kind of course on stuff that I care about. So, mm-hmm. cause I, I just am now dabbling into diagnostic ultrasound and getting good at evaluating with the diagnostic ultrasound and doing right. guided dry needling. And I think eventually that's going to take me down a road where I can help teach uh, students or teach other things. So, I think uh, doing some of that plus the managing the business and then working part-time, maybe mm-hmm. 15 hours, 20 hours of clinician work. Awesome. Dude, that's great. So great. So before we finish up, I just want to uh, ask you, is there anything else you think that uh, it'd be important for someone to know or that, we, that I didn't even, that I forgot to ask you about? Yeah, I, I would say probably that the biggest thing that we, we talked about a little bit, but the biggest thing I would say is as a new grad, it's totally doable. And I would say you can get really creative with how you control overhead expenses. So don't be freaked out by the capital. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing that scared me. And I don't think I dived in that enough was you can hundred percent run a clinic on a, on a very uh, low expense kind of uh, way and do really good care. Cause I used to use, I, I use intake Q now, which is a little bit more pricey, but I, before then I was using, it was like, I went in the stages. So it was like, all right, I'm just using Google calendar. Then it was like, I'll use Calendly. And then you're like, okay, now I'm getting more. I'm going to go upgrade an intake Q. So there's phases to the expense you do on your business. So you'll have phases and like everyone progresses differently. And so as a new grad, you're going to be bare bones and that's okay. And you will succeed because it's not about your software. Right. It's about how much you care. So um, that would be my biggest point because I just think too many new grads write it off and like, well, I'll practice for three years. I'll practice for four years. I'll practice for five years and then I'll do it. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to have kids by then. Like that's going to be real. You want to talk about difficult. Try, right. try doing that with, you know, a brand new baby. Like, you, it's not, you, it's a lot easier to do it as a new grad than being a dad. I would, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we're going to try for kids here shortly. And I can tell you so many people, that's what happens. They'll, they'll be like, Oh, I'll get my experience. And then they, then more life happens and then it gets harder. So right. I would say there's no better time than as a student or a new grad to start planning for that stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Zach, thank you so much for being here. If someone wants to check out your website or, um, connect with you somewhere on social media, what's the best place for them to find you? Yeah. So I got, I got an Instagram. So one thing that I want to ramp up and I've been talking about uh, with my wife is ramping up the Instagram, but you can follow me at true strength perform. But the biggest place that you're going to find a lot about me is going to be at my website at truestrengthrehab.com. Mm-hmm. And that's T R U strength. Yep. Right? Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate it. Um, well, thank you so much for being here. And thanks for uh, having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to see you crush it and how far you've come in the last few years. And it sounds like you're living the dream out there in Colorado, which is yeah, beautiful, beautiful state. So, um, thank you. Um, well, this is the Cash PG Lunch Hour. All I got to say is, if you want it, go get it. <laughs> and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you want to learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint, because I want to get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I want to give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling, and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And when you get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.